And welcome back to Blum Business here on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you again always for joining us. If you haven't done so, please share it again. Make sure to subscribe to the show, follow us, look for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and please rate and review. If you haven't done so, I'd really appreciate that. My next guest, you know, he's familiar to Cannabis Radio and also to the company itself has been very familiar to Cannabis Radio, been on Plant Profits, Grassroots Marketing, and on this program as well. Uh, they present a, My guest represents a company that has been featured, again, a lot of programs on the network, largest and most experienced cultivators, manufacturers, and retailers of cannabis products in the U.S., and they've officially rebranded to the Cannabis Company. And we talked with the folks when they were originally Columbia Care, and now they are the Cannabis Company. The store names were Cannabis, and now the name is part of the company itself. So I'm here with the Chief Commercial Officer at the Cannabis Company, Jesse Shannon. Jesse, thanks for being on. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me again. It's good to see you. Absolutely. So there's been so much that we've talked about. I know that we talked to folks from when it was Columbia Care, Back in May 2021, here on Blunt Business Initiative, and we talked to you back before the pandemic, Benzinga 2020 in Miami. That's how far back we go back just all this year. But yep. May 2021 originally was when Columbia Care unveiled the national retail experience with the launch of Cannabis, a national dispensary network leveraging proprietary technology platforms to support the customer journey anytime, anywhere. So now, not only has Cannabis been the name that's been here for the last couple of years, you decided as Columbia Care to change the name to Cannabis itself to encompass the entire company. So first of all, what does that represent making that change? You know, I, I think it represents, and I've used this line probably too many times over the last two or three weeks, but you know, Columbia Care got us to where we needed to get to. Um, and I think cannabis is going to take us to where we need to go, right? I, I think that as one of the earliest MSOs in the space, right, dating all the way back to 2012, mm-hmm. Columbia Care was absolutely the right brand architecture to, you know, focus on medical, to bring sort of a sense of of stability and, uh, you know, let's say uh, trust right into the space. Um, and now we serve a much more diverse consumer set, a, a, a much more uh, diverse sort of communities across the country. You know, we have one of the largest footprints by serving 16 states across the U.S., um, and so what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide a platform that we felt like was a great launching pad for innovation and for all of the things that we really stood for, um, but also that the team was excited about, that they could be proud of, that they, you know, could, you know, sort of take some pride in and, and take out into their communities and, and that they felt like more directly aligned with who we were today and who we were going to be moving forward. And so, like you said, in May of 21, we launched Cannabis. It won a bunch of awards. It got a bunch of great feedback. People loved it. The performance was great. The internal team members were ordering swag left and right. Like it was like a competition for for cannabis labeled swag. And so that sort of gave us the the, the you know a bit of the cheat code of like, okay, if if we're gonna rename the parent company, the connective tissue that brings all of these banners and brands together, this this is probably not a bad way to go. Now those press releases that came out. When this announcement was made, it talked about how, quote, the rebranding reflects the company's continued dedication to building a cannabis company for the future, which fosters innovation, creativity, and passion across its teams, adult use, and medical customers, partners in the industry. And I can imagine, too, that, again, this retail experience is more than just medical. So just the name where it comes to cannabis is something where it encompasses more of a broader mass market for cannabis. So it's here to educate, inspire, serve the rapidly growing cannabis market delivering high-quality products, technology-led solutions, a welcoming customer experience. And the plan for the the cannabis brand is really to go ahead and convert it into the retail portfolio across the country in 2024. So 
it's also not just where you feel like the change of the name goes from medical, the, my, my, more of a medical sense to now much more of a retail adult use recreational sense. Plus, it's a brand that is definitely going to be more synonymous with something that will be more of a national brand, especially when federal legalization down the line comes in, that that brand is ready to go and be established and based every market available. Talk to me about from a national growth perspective where the company goes from here now using this name. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I think a couple of things that jump right out of you. First and foremost, it's unapologetic, right? Like the one thing that unites all of us that are, you know, in this industry and excited about what we do is that we're unapologetic for the things that that uh, that we offer, right? With regards to safe products, um, things that ultimately bring, you know, relief or relaxation or a little bit of fun or whatever it may be into people's lives. Um, so I think we're proud, right? We're proud of the plant. We're proud of the people. And so cannabis to us is two things. It's an unapologetic ode to the fact that this is all we do, right? Like a cannabis is a specialist in one thing and that is cannabis. And the other thing is it's named after the people, right? Like you are a cannabis when you are someone who's like a sommelier of weed, right? And so for us paying homage to the teams that make this industry and this and this 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 company possible was incredibly important. Where we go nationally, um, we operate nine banners today as as a retail brand across the country. We've got nine different retail brands that we operate. Those are going to be consolidated, right? We're going to continue to drive efficiency and continue to drive brand equity nationally by putting all of those experiences under the cannabis banner at some point over the next few years. How we prioritize those. It's a market by market assessment, but ultimately we know that's where we want to end up. And it's not just paint on the wall, right? To your point, we want to bring in technology. We want to bring in uh, sort of the the standards, raise the bar for what we expect from an experience and what we expect from on-site education and training and everything else that we think makes makes that retail experience better. And so that that's our focus, right? I, I think that other than the state of Florida, where packaging requirements are a little bit different, you don't see the name cannabis on a product. It's not on a bottle. It's not on a vape. It's not on a dram, right? Like it's just not there. Cannabis as a retail brand is meant to be a brand synonymous with excellence in retail experience. Our product brands like 777 and Classics and Seed and Strain and Heady and Amber and all of Press and all these others, those are meant to be linked to expectations with regards to the specific product. And so I think that for us nationally, that that is the focus. Cannabis itself should be synonymous with it, with a great experience where you leave knowing more than you did when you came in and you feel really good about what you've just selected and you're excited to come back and try something new. So almost exactly three years ago to the day, you spoke of Forbes and talking about national branding. And you yep. mentioned at that time, quote, we're coming to the realization at this point in 2020 that we're never going to be able to be a Bud Light right now or a McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, and you said that's just not going to happen. Now, but then you also make mention of where in the company itself that at the time Columbia Care was trying to prepare for a landscape where there are national brands. And they made the point that the trick with a firm like a McDonald's or other analogs is what certain C-suite suits still want to, out of cannabis is product consistency. Yes. And talk to me about where if, how much has changed from that statement now in terms of having to go ahead and create a consistent brand across the board? And I was actually talking with another guest before yeah. that 
you know, say it was a, the company was in California and they want interstate commerce, obviously. We would all want that. But it comes down the line with, to go ahead and replicate and create the same quality where in that company's case, they do a lot of sustainability in terms of their cultivation, their greenhouse effects, making sure they're using water, irrigated from aquifers and all these extra steps to be sustainable and really, you know, put something out there that's very quality and very environmentally friendly, even with the pesticides as well. Tell me about what's changed in the last last three years in terms of being able to go ahead and build more toward a national brand, aside from the company name, but also having the products there and the whole infrastructure set up for national. So the Forbes article was interesting, right? And I still stand by, I, I, and I'll speak to that. I, I think when, when I was speaking in that interview about something like a McDonald's or a Coca-Cola or anything else, I was talking yeah. about that product consistency, that the hamburger tastes the same way across every state, right? right? Right. And it's not going to be the case with flour. It's just not. If you take a great cultivar or a great genetic from a, a specific uh, grow or a specific soil condition, or whatever it may be on the West Coast, and you bring it to an indoor grow on the East Coast, there's no guarantee that it is going to have exactly the same sort of uh, flavor or exactly the same uh, terpene profile or anything else, right? These are biological assets. And I think that part of the beauty of those flower, those those genetics is to lean into that diversity and also into that nuance and embrace some of the specificity that the regions have become known for, right? Like in the mid-Atlantic, there's some strains that we grow that people are just, they're just known for, right? And that's great. And so my point was always, there will be national brands built here and it's going to be on the manufactured product where you can drive the ultimate consistency and formulation and experience and taste and all of that, right? So if you're talking about, you know, a great uh, manufactured product, I think you can drive a lot of consistency across state. I think you have to embrace, you know, the beauty that is flour. And it's, you know, you can buy a San Marzano tomato that's grown in New Jersey, but I got news for you. It's not going to taste like a San Marzano tomato that's grown in Italy in volcanic right. ash. Right. It's just going to be a little different. It's the same genetics. Right. And so I think that that is something that, you know, from a from from a, a consumer point of view, I think our consumer base, especially our legacy consumer base, are incredibly well educated. They're also very authentic and they fully understand that. So they they honestly push back when people try to come, you know, try to create too much uniformity across something like whole flour, right? If they're coming in to buy that, they're buying it because of specific traits and and they want to see it, they want to smell it, they want to be able to interact with it, right? Where, where regulations allow. And so I think that that is absolutely still my viewpoint on this. There are aspects of our industry that I think we can get to something that's more like a Bud Light, right? For that example, um, I would probably use the example of Coors Light right now based on sales numbers, but right, we, right. We, we could probably get a little bit more there. Um, but on many of our products, you know, the biological asset of, uh, asset side of our business, uh, flour is 50 to 55% usually in most markets of what's sold. That is not going to be something that we're going to be able to, nor do I believe we should strive to create this complete uniformity across every state, right? And I think from an interstate commerce point of view, <clears throat> I personally don't see it coming anytime soon. And I don't think it's no. universally wanted because I think if you are in many of these states where you don't have the advantages of an outdoor grow. You don't have advantages of certain climates where you can have significantly less expensive infrastructure in place. I don't think you're going to want to surrender those those jobs and and the tax revenue of those facilities. 
So I think those states are going to continue to push back um, on interstate. And I think that will be driven by the fact that as these vertical operations have ramped up in those markets, they've created a lot of jobs and a lot of tax revenue on the cultivation and manufacturing side. Now, one of the things you make a good point, and I want to go and just unpack on the part where yeah. when it comes to the branding and when it comes to trying to create uniformity or consistency of the product of what's out there, one of the things is also there's very compelling is the fact that we're obviously we have craft cannabis companies out there that are willing to go ahead and do the part where people are willing to go ahead and take a different seeds or strains and they know they're going to have to kind of step the jar. They're going to have to go ahead and check and see what they're getting with every batch that they're, whatever they're getting from. But in the MSL model, you are trying to create, like you said, that McDonald's cores like consistency so that all you have to do is see when the brand is there and it's something from cannabis, you know, it's something that you're going to go with a seed and strain, for example. Yep. You know, you can go ahead and get the, the jar. You know, you're going to get the same quality product and you don't even have to second guess it. That's the part we want to get to at some point. And obviously, if we can't do it through interstate commerce, we're not going to have that. Even in a regional sense, that's not even allowed, which unfortunately is, uh, is a shame because we could have interlocking states that could actually go ahead and do some kind of a collective and create a region of interstate commerce if possible. But in the meantime, yeah, what is it that you, uh, is that, that's being considered now because of the various amount of jurisdictions that you're at? Like you are in a lot of different markets. And uh, when it comes to how far apart, because if he's in New York or if it's Florida, if it's other places, to create that consistency across, again, 31 cultivation and manufacturing facilities supplying to over almost 100 dispensaries and 125 facilities. What is it about that where you are trying to create something that will be very uniform? Is it is it possible in this current environment now? I think it's possible-ish, right? I think that what we focus on is trying to provide brackets of consistent expectations across a number of things, right? So it's almost like there's like these three T's that are fairly objective. And then there's the eyeball test, right? So testing. So what is the, what is the levels coming back at, right? Terps and how it's trimmed. Is it hand trim? Is it machine trim, right? So that there's sort of like those three things that you can check some boxes on and understand, is this a triple seven, a seed and strain or a classics sort of product, right? And then the last one is the eyeball test, right? So like what are we talking about as far as the overall aesthetics of the flower here, right? So the size, the grade, everything that we're looking at there. So I think when you combine all of those things, what you can do is you can start to provide some brackets. If you're coming in for a great 17 to 24% tester that is probably not hand trimmed, it's like a workhorse strain, uh, maybe even like a legacy, like an OG strain or something like that. It's got, you know, good, but not great sort of turf profiles, right? Um, that's a classics flower for us more than likely in any market. If you're coming in for something that's more like mid twenties, really beautiful flower, um, that has, you know, great sort of terpy expressions. It's, it's going to be a super flavorful smoke. It's got, you know, it's, it may be hand trim depending on the cultivar that's probably falling into seed and strain. And if you're coming in for just absolute gas, right? Like, I mean, 30% plus tack just A's across the board, that's going to be in triple seven. And so I think, does it always work out exactly that way? Of course, depending on the market, what's coming out of the grow and stuff like that, it's a bracket. So there's going to be a little bit of movement, but for the most part, that allows our consumers to come in and to your point, to see that jar and know right away, good, better, best, what is it that I'm looking for? And that will help to at least whittle down the selection criteria from there. 
So now you can start getting into, okay, well, there's three different offerings from 777 here. I know that this is all super premium. Which which way do I want to go inside of that inside of that selection? So much we're going to go talk about. I'm here with the chief commercial officer of the cannabis company, Jesse Channon here on Blunt Business. And when we come back, we're going to go more into various issues when it comes to where you are from a financial standpoint right now with the change of all this and the growth strategy and the the passion that really brings this full circle dispensary brand. The, the brand and the dispensaries to go to come and how it's going to be set up for a future nationwide market. We're going to go talk about that more with Jesse here after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. I'm here with Jesse Channon, Chief Commercial Officer of The Cannabis Company. By the way, the website is thecannabiscompany.com. Back into it, I want to talk to you about something from MG Biz Daily. They mentioned that now, quote, as we've opened cannabis across the country, you said to them, it became clear to us that the ethos behind the retail brand that re- retail brand represented our company as a whole, a passion for cannabis that we all share and fuels our work every day. So I want to get more on the idea of what cannabis is doing to create this full circle national cannabis brand and especially for the whole market and where as you say, we're, this ethos that it's a passion that shares and fuels our work every day. I mean, I think first off, one of the things that we know that's unique about our industry is that it's expanding rapidly, right? So we continue to welcome new consumers into our stores. Those new consumers, typically, as we continue to see this expansion, are over-indexing within certain demographics, right? So we have a legacy core consumer base that highly skews towards flower-based products and a number of other things. Now we're starting to see the emergence of more and more uh, sort of audience segmentation with regards to the consumers coming in. They're looking for different products, but they're also starting from a very different place with regards to education. Dispensaries by nature, especially the legacy architectures that existed, pretty intimidating. You walk into them, a lot of times it's like a cattle call sort of line or take a number or whatever it is. There's not a lot of shopping it's more just waiting. And then, you know, the, you, you're before you know it, you're up at a counter staring across at someone and they're like, what, what do you want? Because there's, there's a hundred people waiting behind you and they all want something too. So like, what can I get you? Um, that's, that's tough, right? Like if you're trying to welcome new people into a space and you're trying to create uh, consumers that are going to want to come back again and again and again, and are going to want to integrate these products into their life, you have to do a better job of understanding why they're there, what they're looking for. And to us, that's this concept of empathetic education. You, you've just got to you got to sort of create a more comfortable situation for them to be able to explore and learn more about the products while not losing out on the efficiency of being able to move people rapidly through the store so you don't create frustration, right? Mm-hmm. Technology comes into play there. Building applications like Forage, putting uh, you know, points of interest throughout the store to be able to help with product recommendation, exploration, 
to be able to have sort of self-service opportunities where it's allowed, right? Leaning more and more into pre-ordering, providing express opportunities throughout programming the dispensary. These are all things that are necessary right now that are going to continue to evolve, right? We're going to see more and more as regulations normalize, as they relax in certain markets where they're a bit more restrictive right now, our infrastructure becomes more usable. We we have the opportunity to provide more services on site. Um, so we have to be prepared for that. So we always say all the time, cannabis is a platform. The services and the things that we build on top of it, the merchandise and the technology, everything else that we do, the, the training, those are all things that sit on top of that platform. Um, so from a national point of view, when we think about a 360, how do we roll this out? We put in place a platform that's fairly future-proofed so that no matter how things change, you don't have to go in and rip and replace an enormous amount of infrastructure internally. So modular technology, we put in stuff like education bars right now that'll probably become full service bars in the future, right? So all of these little moments throughout the dispensaries, we build those in, we program them for what's available today, and then we allow them to evolve as the regs change. So now you can do open shopping in a market with live packaging on the floor. We're prepared for that. Like the displays, the merchandising, everything is already prepared for it. Today, if you can't do that, it's dummy packaging, right? It's more technology in those places to be able to provide more detail on that product. So I think that's that's really our focus and our view on it. We think that over the next five years, all lines in the sand probably meet and we probably have a more standard framework that we're operating under to allow for that normalized retail experience right now. You just got to do the best you can to take advantage of each individual market, What what what's allowed there. I want to go ahead and pivot into where cannabis right now is from a financial standpoint, economic standpoint, Ralph. Recently, the cannabis company now has a new ticker symbol change on the OTC markets to CBSTF, common shares, uh, which were previously trading under Columbus, uh, Columbia Care as a CCHWF. So it's now from CCHWF to CBSTF. And also the cannabis company recently announced a capital raise worth $25 million via a private placement. So there's a lot going on right in terms of, you know, the fuel and the needs and the, the, the necessities and the resources to continue growth and to go ahead and go forward with the brand with all the financial challenges that all multi-seat operators are dealing with right now. Talk about what you can about where the changes right now, where, uh, you know, companies are going through layoffs as we speak. They're going through... Uh, being said there's a lot of financial pressures intensifying forcing MSOs to take drastic measures to protect their business and what they're going to do maybe in some cases they lose key markets the distributor for in California Herbal had to go and go by the wayside then they because of a lot of, a lot of invoices they couldn't get they got in they couldn't get paid out or paid off all these kind of issues going on what is it about that cannabis is able to go and do to avoid any of these obstacles on the way to growth well, look, I think there's there's a few things there, right? So number one, we, we've been very proactive in cost-cutting measures, right? So back as recently as November, December of last year, we had a, a significant wave of cost-cutting. I, I, you know, I think we, we published numbers north of $35 million in annualized cost savings. Uh, at the time, we had another sort of smaller follow-on wave uh, in Q1, which set us up to really be able to now, you know take advantage of those cost reductions and cost savings as we move through the back half of this year. And I think that that comes through in the financials, right? As we report 
everybody starts to see more and more of those realized cost savings as every quarter goes by. I think at the same time, obviously, you spoke to the private placement. Look, without getting into too much detail or anything that hasn't already sort of been published, what is happening, what you're seeing is exactly what our CEO, Nick, said he was going to be focused on and he was going to do coming out of the break of the Cresco transaction. He was he was very upfront with everybody. We are going to do what we need to, to restructure and to handle things in a way that take away some of the primary concerns, the short-term concerns around the, the sort of the leverage in the business, right? And so what has essentially happened through that private placement the, the totality of that placement combined with some other things that have been sort of you know alluded to and spoken to publicly is you've basically taken 2024 off the table, right? So the debt maturities that are coming up in 24, those are no longer a concern, right? So we've moved past that. Now we move into 25 and 26, each of which are either have already been you know dealt with to some extent or are going to be dealt with moving forward, right? And so that is that's the focus for the business is on obviously making sure that we have a runway in front of us that allows us to fully realize what's probably the most exciting growth footprint in the industry right now with regards to the markets that we serve how many of them are either flipping from medical to adult use or are you know massively fast growing and emerging medical markets themselves like a virginia for example so we feel really good about that part of it um, and then on top of it, you've got everything coming with, you know, uh, the the rescheduling, right? So now all the news breaks around that. Everybody starts taking their calculators out and figuring out how that's going to affect them. Is it going to be a one-to-one? Like if we save 20-something million dollars in taxes, you know, on an annualized basis, are we going to have 20-something million dollars in, in cash that hits the books that year? Probably not, right? I'm sure there's going to be some sort of offsets to that, whether it's, you know, some level of pricing compression or some other sort of additional tax. Most of the states have already put their frameworks in place, I think. So I, I don't think that will necessarily be as big of a burden. But I think when you look at relief coming there, combined with all the costs that we've taken out of the business, combined with what we've already been able to do in helping to sort of ease some of those concerns around the short term, this now becomes a very attractive business from a growth point of view. And now what we're focused on is profitable growth, which Fine. which we think we can do effectively. Um, focused on building a professional organization around wholesale, doing more there, continue to expand retail. We've got more locations to open in some of the most exciting markets in the country. We've got another Maryland location to open. We've got another New Jersey location. We've got two more to open in Virginia. There's a lot of organic growth that's going to be embedded inside of the platform. Fantastic. We're going to go back into another commercial break. When we come back, I want to go just talk, expand more on where you are in terms of the growth and where Cannabis is going everywhere in a lot of different places. We already mentioned before, 16 U.S. jurisdictions, 125 facilities as of when I got all the prep set up for this interview, 94 dispensaries, 31 cultivation and manufacturing facilities, others under development. We'll talk more about all this with the cannabis company. Previously, Columbia Care, now now the thecannabiscompany.com. That's where the website is. You can go ahead and find everything out about that. And I mentioned just before the fact that now you can go ahead and Look for shares of the cannabis company trading as CBSTF on the CBO Canada Exchange and also on the OTC markets. Oh, for those of the EO Exchange. And you can also find out over the counter markets, CBSTF. Go ahead and look for that and take a look at the stock and the website as we go to break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. And we're back with final questions with Jesse Chanick, Chief Commercial Officer of the Cannabis Company here on Blunt Business. 
along with all the issues they have now, where we always are looking at, though, so much cost going on right now, the taxation in various markets, just to try to go ahead and, you know, have every multi-state operator like the cannabis company, you know, stay in, in good regard. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot here on the program and on grassroots marketing is now we've heard about the DEA, the possible reschedule, which looks like is most likely going to be rescheduled from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 for cannabis, which would help diminish the need for the clause, the IRS, uh, the IRS Revenue Code 280E to be affected on companies like cannabis and all the cannabis companies in general. When you look at that coming up into next year, so say if it's a year from now, we see where the tax revenue, tax write-offs can be put into 2025. Jesse, what do you think right now, what kind of a, what would MSO be get, getting back, you think, in terms of the revenue and what can be brought back into the coffers to be put back into the growth? Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I think it's still early, right, to, to figure out exactly what that impact looks like. I think for us as a portfolio, I think everybody knows we're over-indexed retail right now, so we're disproportionately affected by that change. Um I think our, our total tax bills, probably somewhere north of 40 million, north of 20, over 20 of that is going to be affected by the 280E reschedule. Uh-huh. So it's a significant windfall, right? Um, that cash coming back in changes the the complexion of this business, right? Even a portion of that coming back in changes this business from basically being, you know, hovering right around free cash flow positive to burning very little capital right now to being, you know, free cash flow positive and able to to sort of leverage that for whatever you need moving forward, right? Whether it's servicing debt or growth or however you want to look at that. Um, I think that that's really exciting, but it's not what we're banking the company on, right? So our our goal as an organization through the restructuring that we did in uh, November, December, where, where we really cut the expenses through the reorganization that just took place uh, about a month ago, where we separated front and back of house and did, made a number of changes to the way that we're operationally servicing these these individual markets. We're going to win what we've got. Right. Right. Like we, this is not, we're not going to bet the future of this company in the short term on the, the winds, the direction of the winds in DC, right? Like this is going to be, let's be great with, let's go from good to great with what we have. Um, and then let's see if a couple of these upside moments, these wild cards hit that make the cannabis company really, really interesting. So those upside moments, rescheduling, right? I think that helps everybody. A safer banking act, right? I think that helps everybody. If New York finally figures out a way to sell weed safely and legally, um, you know, we're we're fully prepared to be the largest member of the supply chain in the New York market, right? We have the Riverhead facility sitting there ready to go. This is not it does not require any deployment of capital from a build-out point of view. That that thing is ready to roll. So it's as these moments happen, we have this incredible opportunity for upside. I think when you look at our portfolio, and I mentioned CapEx, when you think about where we are overscaled, it's like where we have incredible opportunity to grow. These massive facilities where the markets will not outgrow them anytime soon, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, yeah. New Jersey, New York, Colorado, right? These are massively scaled. We obviously are, you know, we're vertical on other markets on top of that. But when you look at those facilities in particular, those are monsters. And what do they all have in common? You take Colorado out of the mix. Those are all converting markets. 
Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey just converted, Virginia, New York. These are all markets that are going to see asymmetric upside with regards to their growth over the next 36 months. And we're there. Like we are the one, two, or three largest uh, sort of uh, facility or footprint in each one, uh, each of those states, respectively. So I, I think that's an incredibly exciting opportunity. Yeah, when I look at the map on the the GoCannabis.com website, I see where the, the store in Brooklyn, New York now is all set up. You have a lot of, obviously, a big footprint in Florida and across the Atlantic seaboard, uh, when you go just across the board, and then, then already going working into California, Nevada. It's great. Now, uh, when it comes to opening up in New York, you know, what can you tell me in terms of the MSO perspective, being able to go and get that store in New York and getting into that market now and where it's gone because you hear so much about social equity, but we never hear that much about the MSOs making yeah. their way into New York and, you know, putting a big footprint into such a large market that's going to grow uh, exponentially. So look, I, I personally, I appreciate what states like New York have tried to do to involve as many people as possible in the industry. Right. I think it's the right thing to do. And by the way, this industry is going to continue to grow over the next five years. There's plenty of opportunity to go around, right? Um, I think where New York has failed everyone is obviously they, they, it's been a disaster on the retail rollout side, right? I mean, yeah, at one point you had like 1,300 illicit operators and three oh, legal yeah. parts, right? So it's like bizarre, okay? But the other area where we're most excited about is helping to stabilize that supply chain. Because when you have the big sort of registered operators in New York that are now able to turn on these facilities, they're able to start to produce safe tested product at scale, what it's going to do is it's going to do two things. It's going to drive down the cost to the consumer significantly, which is going to mean that the the cost disparity between buying a legal eighth that is safe and tested that you know has not been a facility with fentanyl or a, an illicit or a legal eighth, that gap starts to close. And we know from other markets when that gap closes, is when the medical program and the adult use program shoot through the roof because now people don't feel like they're having to come massively out of pocket in order to be able to get something that they know is safe, right? That's that's huge. The other thing that it does is it empowers that ecosystem of social equity operators to open up their retail storefronts and have some level of stability and predictability around their supply chain, right? You, you couldn't have a thousand legal dispensaries in New York right now. Because the supply chain that exists today could not serve them. It just couldn't with regards to manufactured products, with regards to things that that market's going to want, like live resin products or rosin-based products, or even just high-quality premium flour, right? Those things do not exist at scale in that market today. Yeah. And so we've done a massive disservice by the first round of cultivators that were, that were basically set up to fail. They're sitting on bumper crops of biomass right now that are going to spoil. They're not highly desirable, that also have no outlet for distribution because there's not enough legal operators that are open from a retail point of view. Right. And then you have an illicit market that's being fed by either product falling off the back of a truck or from who knows where, right? Um, and that's going in, that consumers are putting that in their body in New York City right now. So it is, it's a, it's a bad situation that could be made much better by allowing scaled operators to get involved in the cultivation and manufacturing side of the, of the equation. And I really do feel in my heart that's probably what's coming. Um, so as an MSO, as, a, as an RO in New York, that's what we're looking forward to. Let's get some plants in these facilities and start getting safe products into the communities. The rest will sort itself out. The stores, everything else, it'll sort itself out. Well, Jesse, you made the reference of uh, how ca cannabis is very much proactive. 
and a lot of things when it comes to financial, when it comes to growth strategy. And obviously, the way you just kind of just summarize New York is about as succinct and it's about as proactive as possible. You you definitely get the market. That's a pretty pretty succinct, well-rounded, compacted explanation of the situation in New York. About as good as I I, don't, I couldn't even put it that uh, together in such a short amount of time. You really get it, and that's what cannabis really does get when it comes down to it. So let's go ahead and, go ahead and make a quick wrap-up on this. Again, the website is thecannabiscompany.com. If you want to go ahead and look for locations, there is a store finder up there and so much more. And really, anything else you can tell us in terms of loyalty programs or just what people are going to need to do to be able to get themselves in front of cannabis and go ahead and get to a store and try out the products. Anything you want to tell us about products as well? What can you tell us that we should so, be looking at? So here's what I'll say. Let me, let me a pitch for the industry first. Sure. Right? There are a lot of great operators across this country making great product growing great plants that are safe, that are tested, that you can feel really good about putting into your body. I I, I would sort of implore everyone to go explore and, and try some things out. We would love if you came to us and learned with us and explored with us and found more products through either Cannabis or G-Leaf or TGS or Medicine Man, uh, you know, SWC, Patriot Care, Capital City Care. We got banners all over the place, right? THCSD. Um, so we'd love to see you. We'd love for you to come in. But at the very least, get out there, try some stuff. When we built Forage, so you can go to forage.io to get some product recommendations. Mm -hmm. we started it with the question that I heard most often when I went into dispensaries, which is how do you want to feel today? And everything through Forage is just, how do you want to feel today? What are you trying to solve for? What is your current situation? The environment that you're going to be using in the things that you care about. What forms or formulations are you comfortable with, right? Um, start there. Keep a journal. Like, just have fun. Test some stuff out and see what works. So uh, I think that that is my pitch, right? To anyone listening, to anyone interested, there is no shortage of beautiful plants and products available right now in our industry. Um, we've got some. There's a lot of other people that have them as well. Get out there and try some stuff. Fantastic. We're here with, again, Jesse Channon, Chief Commercial Officer of the Cannabis Company. The website is gothecannabiscompany.com, C-A-N-N-A-B-I-S-T, and shares. You can also, again, you know, invest in the continued growth of the Cannabis Company. They're traded as C-B-S-T-F on the CBO Canada Exchange and also the OTC markets. Jesse, thanks for being on. Really appreciate you taking time out. Absolutely. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. As always. And also, listeners, thank you for listening for another Bone Business. We'll talk to you next time.